Josh Scott, would you join me up here, please? One of the last, one of the last things that I did as, or that I'm doing as lead pastor is I asked my team to get you a shorter chair. <laughs> Or me a taller one. So anyway, you sit there and let me sit here. So anyway, I just wanted to have a conversation with Josh today. Just man to man, equanimity, right on the same level. Um, I'm not sensitive to turning things over at all. I feel really good about turning things over to you. <laughs> I'm really, really glad uh, to have Josh's wife, Carla, here and the five kids. Um, Carla, have you been introduced formally? Yeah. Why don't you come sing a song for us? Wouldn't that be great? No, no. (laughs) Just um, five kids. All right. Help. Instead of me trying to give the five You'll probably hear them in a minute. Yeah. One of the reasons reasons that we actually have called Josh and Carla, one of the big factors for the leadership council, was it it felt like a Sunday school drive, actually, for our (laughs) church. So our children's ministry has doubled now. But tell them the kids' names and their ages. This is spectacular. Okay. So we have Cohen, who is nine going on 20. Um, We have Ava, who is two and a half we have Jalen and Jasmine, who are three, and Colton, who is two. So nine, three, three, two and a half, and two. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. And um, Carla, you have your parents with you here today. You folks, are you all Spring Hillers or Thompson No, my, my parents are the Spring Hillers. Uh, They're yeah. Morgantownians. Oh, y'all came all the way down. Yeah. Good. Well, really glad you guys are here. Um, last... Last July or August, when I knew that it was time for me to matriculate to founding pastor, I don't want to be pastor emeritus. That's like for old people. But (laughs) founding pastor um, and really turn the day-to-day leadership of this church. It was just time for a new chapter in my life with what I'm doing, and it was time for a new chapter for this church. I literally, uh, I knew there were a lot of great people out there. But full disclosure, I um, called Josh, uh, who I've known for a long time, and asked him to meet me. And he drove down from Morgantown. We met in White House, and I said, this church is about to go through a beautiful process. And we've got an incredible leadership council, an incredible church. But I just would really love for you to consider um, being the person that comes. So this was the first guy that I talked to. And, um, I, and I told him at that point, our polity is that the leadership council uh, has complete discretion to this process, and one of the responsibilities that I have as a lead pastor, which he's doing the same thing. He's been pastoring at Morgantown for 14 years, so we're in uniquely the same situation. Um, but I, I will stay out, and I will lend whatever um, advice or input that they want, but this really is the church's process. And but I really would love for you to consider it. And he, he pretty quickly said that he would consider it. We went through a process. And you guys know, for the last eight months, we've walked through uh, a really intense process. And we have interviewed and walked through a lot of really great candidates. And it's gone back and forth. There was a time when almost immediately I thought it was going to be so clear that Josh and Carla would come. And, and then their life wasn't setting up 
um, well to do that and they had to pull out of the process and other great candidates came and and there were uh, there were just a lot of hills and valleys in the whole process and the learning process for all of us but suffice to say this is a wonderful church and it's a linchpin in this post-evangelical progressive Christian movement and we had a lot of wonderful people came and uh, just a month or so ago, we were coming down the home stretch. The LC was really wrestling with four or five other really good candidates, all who were just spectacular people. And one night I got a text from Josh, said that he couldn't get Grace Point off his mind. And I said, well, that's interesting because we can't get you off of our mind. And through that little brief interaction, um, Josh came back, met with the leadership council on several occasions and Suffice to say, we are here. One of the things that I want to say, um, he and I, I went back through old emails and all the way back to when you and I first began. Really? Yep. Interacting. We have a, we have a, a long, dear friendship. But I just wanted to say, not only he's a, he's a great preacher, he's a great mind, he's a great husband and dad, um, a leader in this progressive movement, but one of the common denominators Every time that I reach out to one of our mutual friends and say, man, I'm just so excited. This could not have gone better. To a person, every one of them, um, and I just wanted to say this out loud, every one of them say something like this. Well, as great a preacher as he is and pastor as he is, one thing about Josh Scott, he's an even better person. And that's, uh, that's high praise from... Do these people know me? Uh, they know you. They know you. Rumor really well. they're hearing? Or? So when, did we, when was that first email that you reached um, out? So it was years stack up. It was, I think, 2014 or so. And we were going through our process in Morgantown. Uh, it was really difficult. And uh, I sort of stalked Brian McLaren around the region. So whenever Brian would come, to, and he was getting ready to come to a, a thing at our place in the spring, and so saw on his schedule he was going to be in uh, the Nashville area, and I thought, what church would host him? Because I was unaware, I, you know, I thought we were the only people around doing any of this work. And so I looked up Grace Point, and I was like, huh, well maybe there's somebody else. And so I actually called the office and talked to, uh, to Ron. Ron I think. Miller which I just got off the phone with Ron. That's who I was on the phone with yeah. back in the back talking about. Yeah. Um, so I called Ron and said, hey, I'm a pastor in Morgantown, Kentucky. Could I bring a few people down? We're, we're going through Brian's new book, and he's coming to our place, and they would just love to come and get to. And so we came down for that. And then I think afterward, after that event, you and I had a conversation, and then which led to a couple emails. And Yeah, and, and I found are. out there was a progressive thinking evangelical in, in the, um, the urban center of Morgantown, <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit, I, I would love for the church to hear a little bit, I know this stuff, but a little bit about you guys' journey, where you and Carla come from, and how you ended up at Morgantown and that whole story. For those that don't know, I, I will throw this out, My, our friend Pete Wilson, who's Pastor Crosspoint here, spoke for us uh, recently actually founded Morgantown Community. You yep. took the church after him or was No, there, there was a, Pete, Pete was there for four years. Another guy was there for four years. And then I have been there for 14. Yeah, well, go back and you guys come from where and how did you get to Morgantown? Um, Tell us a little bit about the 14 years at Morgan. How do you take a church in rural Kentucky 
to such a progressive, fully inclusive position. Kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up in eastern Kentucky, West Virginia area. Um, I, I grew up in a free will Baptist church to begin with. My grandfather was the pastor. Um, and uh, free will Baptists, like the big, the big issue for us was losing, your, like losing salvation as a set of car keys, one right. might. Um, and so there was a lot of just fear and anxiety built into my life. Uh, when my grandfather died, which was, he died in a church business meeting. I see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've ever sat through one, you know what that can do to a person. Yeah. And, and uh, I was 11 at the time. Wow. And I was operating under a specific worldview that sort of you put good things in, you, you ask for stuff back, and you just get it. That's how it works. And that's not how that worked out for me. So the seeds of my deconstruction were sown at 11. Um, and uh, eventually we decided to become liberals and we joined a Southern Baptist church. Well, yeah. We were, They're crazy. <laughs> They're crazy for sure. Um, you know, we, we did that. And so I started preaching um, 22 years ago in a Southern Baptist church. You're 38. Almost. Almost 38. I think. Yep. How old are you, Carla? Oh, no, that's just kidding about that. Um, so uh, that was my upbringing. So uh, f- fundamental. So you went to a Southern Baptist church mm-hmm. as a teenager? Yeah. Teens, and mm-hmm. is that where you did ordination? And Yes. Yeah. Wow. That was a process. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so when I got ordained, um, the previous, my pa- the person who was always my pastor had left the church. I served the interim role for a little while, and then another guy came. And the ordination process my pastor had used was you meet in private, they'll ask you some questions, and then you have a service to celebrate. Well, this pastor was different. We met in private, and then we came up, and they set me on a stage, me and him in chairs, and he, they'd give me this book called What Baptists Believe that I had to memorize. So I memorized it. And I sat on stage in front of everybody, and they peppered, he peppered me with questions about... Well. A rich academic experience, it mm, sounds like. Very much so. So you were how old when you were ordained? 20, 21. Yeah, and, and, and went into ministry. Morgantown was not your first. No. Uh, so I did the interim pastorship at my home church. <laughs> I took a job at a church in college. When I met with them, they said, we, we realize that church is changing and we really want to change with it. And I was like, all right, I'm your man. They didn't mean it. So it went horribly. I was there for a yeah. year. And I remember sitting down with one of the deacons uh, who were all related to each other. This is still uh, Southern Kentucky, Eastern uh, This Kentucky. is Central Kentucky, where I was in college, Kentucky, near Lexington. Yeah. Right. Oh, so let me give you just the... We're in a deacon's meeting, and I'm, I say, you know, I don't really use pulpit. I don't really like it. I'd like to just do something else. They're like, oh, sure, we'll get it moved. That Sunday, I came in, and it's like weeping and gnashing of teeth. The founding pastor's father built that on his deathbed. Yeah. And I have now removed the deathbed pulpit. Well, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> um, so when, they, when we decided to part ways, it was sort of, it's one of those things where you say it was mutual, but it was really probably more them than me. And... Um, the guy told me, the head deacon, he said, you know, you're, you're a good preacher, but you're, you're not a pastor. 
Mm. And it, I was so offended. And he was, now he was right. Like, I, I wasn't a pastor. Uh, when I went to Morgantown, I wasn't a pastor. I had really no interest in being one. I was happy to just be a talking head. So the Morgantown Community Church, obviously we all, if you're in Nashville, you know Pete Wilson and the incredible work he did building Crosspoint. He was that talented guy in a rural town in Kentucky. That was his beginning. When you took Morgantown, he, they had, Morgantown was a church of several hundred people, um, evangelical, uh, praise music. It wasn't like a Southern Baptist. No, no, it was, and, yeah, yeah, it was... Um, I'd say at the height of it, it was a regular 350 or so. Yeah. You know, 500 on Easter. What? You don't think so? It was very well, Southern. Well, but not in, it was not traditional Southern. Nobody was cranking on the organ. They were know? trying to do the non-denominational it was, thing. It was not, yeah, it was, yeah. you know, it was, they were part it's of the world. It's where Pete cut his teeth, literally brought that information and started gro- mm-hmm. cross point here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for a, for a short per, shorter person, he casts a big shadow. Mm. Boy, that's ugly. That's really, that's, I, I want to take offense for him right now. <laughs> Uh, you know, the first six or seven years I was there, it was yeah. still very Pete. much Pete-centric. Yeah. So, but the church was middle of the road, evangelical, progressive, not at all. They, were, no. they weren't reading Tony Campolo and Philip Yancey and Brian McLaren. No, and I would say it started middle of the road, and then the next leadership had taken it farther right. Yeah. So, I mean, it was very much... Creedal, and I mean, you were reciting yeah. the creeds, but you, by golly, you better believe them. Right. Yeah. You know. So you were there 14 years. You took the church, what, 2004, five? Five. Five, 2005. Mm-hmm. When it, you said, though, you were already in the process of deconstructing underneath the clerical collar and ordination, mm-hmm. you were already asking the questions and reading McLaren and all of these people. When did you begin to. Um, You couldn't immediately. When did you begin to press the church on theology? Um, You know, I was was young when I started at MCC. So at the beginning, I was excited. I was learning all this new stuff, and it was was thrilling. And so I just thought, everybody's going to love this. Um, It's going to be amazing. People are just going to eat this stuff up. And so I would start saying things as, as it would pop up for me. I would just try to introduce things, and it was pretty quick that I realized, oh, they're not excited about this. They're not going right. to eat this up. There's something else going on there. Right. You guys, but, but you continued to push. So you didn't really start pushing for six or seven years. I mean, it, for them, I did. Yeah. Right. Because things yeah. were so fundamental. But then all of a sudden, the uh, inclusion issue came along uh, with the advent of the Marriage Amendment Act and all of that. When did Morgantown really begin to press that issue? So... This would have been... I mean, think about what we went through as a congregation in Nashville. Think about rural, you know, rural America, rural southeast Bible Belt in Morgantown. But Morgantown's, what, 20 minutes outside of Bowling Green? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So when did you guys begin to press that issue and how'd that go? So, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know. I just think from the first time you and I had a conversation about it, we were both on the same page. And that was early on in our, I mean, we've been married almost 14 years too. So I don't know when I became affirming. It just seems like there was a point where I was. Does that make sense? Oh, people ask me all the time, what was the linchpin moment? I, I don't have one. Yeah. It just little by little, you know, I, I can't look back and point to one thing or two or three moments. It's just little, I woke up one day and I realized this is clearly the yeah. truth on this matter. And I think for me, you know, a lot of people 
change their, go through deconstruction over a specific issue. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was not a specific issue other than the Bible itself. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? And what role is it meant to have in a, in a community? And that was sort of the thing that once I was, that was all unraveling, all the other stuff just sort of fell into place, if that makes sense. Sure. When you, uh, you began bringing like McLaren and me and others in, when was that? That was 15. Yeah, in 15. So we did include, we did full inclusion January of 15. So that's when everything ramped up for all of us. You guys did full, like you made a formal statement of inclusion when? Uh, We wrote a, we wrote a statement. Um, So I'll tell you how it played out. When I realized that, that I was, there was no turning back for me, uh, I sat down with our elders and uh, just said, look, this is who I am. I laid it all out. And I said, I realize that this may not be MCC's journey, but it's mine. So if I need to step away, if you need to find another pastor, if that's the thing that needs to happen, then I understand, but this is, I cannot not go this way. This is where I'm going. And it's to a person, the elders, even the ones who were uncertain and didn't agree with me said, no, we think this is a journey we need to take as a community. Wow, how many elders? I think there were seven or eight yeah. at the time. And most of them are still a part of the community. I mean, there's a couple who've sort of broken off for other reasons. But, but so, you know, having that discussion with them, them saying, let's press into it. Um, so we had Brian McLaren come and speak. And we didn't have to say a word. Um, I, I was actually in West Virginia doing my grandmother's funeral the weekend that sort of everybody found out Brian McLaren was coming to our church and I get home from doing the, I get back to the hotel from doing the funeral, and one of my leadership calls and says, have you been on Facebook? I was like, no, I'm in the mountains. Like, I've not been on Facebook. I haven't had service all day. Um, and then I got on Facebook, and it had blown up. And, and people, I didn't have to say anything. People already assumed everything based on. Just by having Brian McLaren come and speak. Mm-hmm. You guys familiar? Who's familiar with who Brian McLaren is? We keep throwing this name out. You guys know he is. I, I would say. Brian, in, in terms of living people and maybe even dead people, Brian's probably the most influential person theologically and personally in my life. Probably the same for you? Yeah. And, you know, the difference is, um, like Marcus Borg played a big role mm-hmm. in a lot of my development, too. Brian is so, he's such a pastor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Brian is the type of person, like, the first time I talked to him in person, he's like, here's my phone number. Right. What? I'm not going to use it. The first time I had Brian come to Grace Point, of course, this is like a hero to me. And one thing I can say about the liberal progressive movement, this, this is before God, the truth. In the liberal progressive movement, I keep meeting my heroes and I've yet to be disappointed. And I can't say that about my former life. Every one of these people, whether it's Barbara Brown Taylor or Diana Butler Bass or Brian McLaren... <laughs> When I meet them, they're actually better humans in person than they are even yeah. as theologians in the book. And, and you know that, what this surprised me about all of those folks um, is when, when you're in the evangelical circles and, and you're going to these conferences and it's like these pastors are like rock stars. There's a caste system for sure. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to get to probably even have a conversation with them. They'll sign your book, right? Uh, what is stunning about those folks is... The, the willingness to give you access, the willingness to speak to you. Like, they actually care about the journey you're working out. And that has been, I, I wasn't expecting that. I was mm-hmm. expecting sort of what I had known, 
sort of, uh, there, there are these people who do this stuff and you'll never get to know them. And then there are all of you peons down yeah. here, sort of the lower level. And that's just not been the experience. I remember the first time I had Brian McLaren come to Grace Point, um, the thing that struck me the most, I still remember the message he preached. I still remember the Sunday night Q&A. I had read probably six or eight books of his at that time. So he's this legend in my mind. And I meet him. Of course, he's just more kind than you can imagine. But I remember after service, Brian and I got in the car with Nina. Uh, my, she's 13 now. She was probably seven at that time. We get in the car, and I've got Brian McLaren, you know, my hero, in the car. And I say, so what kind of fare would you like today, you know, to, to eat? Where can we take you in Nashville? Do you know of anything you'd like to eat? And just as genuinely as, I mean, just truly genuine. He turns around to Nina and says, oh, I don't care. Where do you want to go, Nina? And Nina, you know, I was hoping that she would have, you know, pastor's child discretion and say, oh, no, 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 we want to take you. She said, Moe's. I love Moe's. <laughs> and Brian said, what's Moe's? And she said, oh, it's a place you can get burritos. And he says, boy, that sounds fantastic to me. And I said, well, we, we don't want to take you to Moe's. And he said, well, if that's for Nina, if good enough for Nina, it's good enough for me. So we go to Moe's, and the entire time, you know, I finally have Brian McLaren there, and I have a million questions I want to ask him, and I just keep, you know, I, I'm being bad dad. I'm losing the sight of Nina sitting there, and I'm just drilling him with questions. And every three minutes, he would bring the entire conversation back to Nina and talk about, for two hours, he never left her. And... And you do, I walked away with a genuine sense, man, this guy isn't performing, trying to impress yeah. me. This is just who he is. And that's true of, I think, all the leaders I've met so far in the progressive world. When you guys did inclusion at Morgantown, was, was LGBTQ inclusion a bigger issue or was liberal theology a bigger issue for you guys? You know, what's funny is it hits, like we, we lost a couple in 2018 over LGBTQ inclusion. And, you know, we had this, but they just suddenly realized what it meant. In 2018? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, like one week they're like, oh, wait, that? Wow. And we have an ethos that includes this information hanging in the hallway. They're like, yeah. wait, you meant that? That's yeah. what you meant? Uh, so it hits people in waves, uh, I guess. I mean, I think for a lot of people, when you, I remember I got invited to give um, a, they do a, in Morgantown, a Holy Week gathering every day at noon at one of the churches. And uh, it's, it's this Cumberland Presbyterian church. It used to be a church where circuit preachers would come in and like one week it was Presbyterian, one week it was Methodist. Well, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. back in the day. And so it's this really cool building. And they invited me to come and they offered, they said, we'd love for you to give the Good Friday message. And so I got up and I gave a Good Friday message and I talked about what the cross meant about um, the empire's rejection of Jesus and his message and that God affirmed Jesus through resurrection. And I didn't mention atonement theology. And the pastor stopped me on the way out and he said, I, I really have a problem with your sermon. You didn't mention atonement theology. And I was like, I know that was on purpose. Because I, right. I think that's, uh, it obscures what's actually going on there. Right. And you know, I got a 30 minute lecture Sure. On atonement theology. So I think some of that stuff in our, the broader community, um, and even within our church at times, not being able to say certain 
buzz phrases, buzz words that people were really used to that gave them that good old feeling inside. Um, when you stop being able to do that, um, that takes away some sort of safety and familiarity. So LGBTQ inclusion was an important part of it. Uh, I, I don't think there's a thing we've lost more people over. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, 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 all, yeah. it's all been a big deal. Um, one of the things that was most impressive to us as a leadership here, um, and I, I think I can, I, I know I can speak for the leadership council on this, is that back in October, November, when it looked like Josh was kind of coming to the fore and was going to be the guy that would come as our new lead pastor, uh, there was a week period in there where I noticed I, he and I weren't talking quite as frequently as we'd been talking, and I started feeling like, oh, he's not answering my calls as quickly, and he's being a little distant. And as a pastor, I felt like in my gut I knew what that meant. And finally, when we got on the phone, you know, it, I remember the conversation. It was like, I'm... I'm afraid I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you something that you're not wanting to hear. And I was like, oh, crap. That's not what I said, but it was a, it was a synonym. It was a synonym of crap. Um, I said poop. And I, I thought, ugh. But he explained to me on behalf, he and Carla explained that there were two things. Number one, he didn't feel like Morgantown, the church he had served for 14 years, was really in the place that they needed to be for him to feel just exactly what I've had to feel at, at Grace Point. Um, it, Morgantown was just not quite at that place and he was concerned about, about how Morgantown Community Church would, would uh, do in this process and if he left. And, and then they're in the process of fostering slash adopting these two children and it's important that they be in Kentucky and, and they were in a judicial process and a lot of you have been through that process. And the two reasons that they gave that broke our heart really underscored exactly, Dave, Jason, why we wanted them. And if, if they would have been willing to hurt where they were and those closest to them to advantage us, then that's just not the way the beloved community works. And so. They broke our heart, but also through that, not only did we watch them love their family more than they would love vocation, and not only did we watch them say we have a prior obligation to a group of people and we will be no good for no anyone unless we live honorably with those that we already love. Not only was that impressive, I think for me, and I'm sure the leadership council, Kathy, you guys, we've talked about this a hundred times, Jennifer and the others, it was really impressive then to watch them just let go of this process. Um, and they watched us then go through a process where other people came and there, he didn't, there was no meddling, there was no tampering. It was just a very mature trusting. The odd thing was for most of us through that process, we, we just kind of felt like somehow this might work out. I probably called Josh every week, every two weeks over that three month period. And there were a couple of months we didn't even talk about Grace Point. We just caught up and, and then all of a sudden came that text. So it is a concern to us because right now we know this is a reform movement and we're all a part of one another. This 
East Lake and Forefront and us, it's a small group and we are a collective. So, you know, Morgantown's a part of us. What we all are interested, you know, what's happening at Morgantown? You were there 14 years. Mm -hmm. How are they going to do and where are they going to go? First off, almost, I mean, almost to the person. I, I told Stan, if I feel like I've done anything right at Morgantown, it's been um, their response to this news, mm-hmm. which has been, we're really, really sad to lose you, but we're really, really excited for your family, and we're excited for Grace Point. And I don't know if you saw several of our people were on uh, Facebook commenting on Grace Point's post about, you know, um, their affection for us and how excited they were for Grace yeah. Point. So that's been really encouraging um, to know that they are excited for us. Um, also, you know, the church, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, progressive churches, there's not a lot of money. I don't know if you've heard this. We haven't experienced that here. Yeah. We're flush. Uh, yeah. We're really flush. Make it rain. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so so we, were, we were just struggling, and so we used the fall to make really hard choices about budget and um, had to let... Which, by the way, I just want to say... That's, if anything, I can do as a founding pastor who isn't paid or on payroll. It's just, we have got to, everywhere I go now, which that's part of my responsibility is to go, going to all these churches that are springing up everywhere. Uh, finances is a central issue. As much as we love progressive theology and believe the gospel is bigger and better and fuller, um, sadly, we have still not figured out how to get the level of generosity philanthropy, altruism, out of grace and love. We have not figured out how to get as much giving out of love and grace as we did out of hell. Um, Hell and fear put a lot of money in the coffers, and that has not transitioned. And I don't know, I'll just say this as a congregation, we got to figure that out. Um, It's not right. It's, it's not right, but you guys were experiencing that. Yeah, so we cut, we cut the budget down to what we were actually bringing in each week, um, which meant hard decisions about some people on staff who would no longer be able to receive a yeah. paycheck, but we really would love for them to keep doing their job anyway. <laughs> um, very generous of us. Yeah. Um, so we did that. And then the other thing that happened is our leadership team, became, like the people who came onto that, we have a leadership team that I felt like could handle the process. If that makes sense, like, I realized I can step, and it was through really one person who emerged and was leading the charge on the budget, I realized I can, I can trust this to them. And so when I sat down and met with them, um, it was a Wednesday night, the Wednesday night after I spoke here last, I met with the elders, and, you know, I don't like, I'm an Enneagram 7, so I like to have fun, don't like bad news, don't like to depress people, just want to have fun. Uh, so I'm trying to, I'm rehearsing all in my head what I'm going to say, and I have this big eloquent speech um, I'm going to say, and I just sit down and go, so I'm going to resign. (laughs) And almost all but a couple people were like, oh, we've been expecting this. Hmm. So there was a sense of readiness for them. The other night, uh, they called me, a couple of the leadership team, and said, we want to give you an update on where we are, and they've already got the ball rolling. They've already lining up guest speakers. They've already made their commitments to not losing the ground we've gained as a church, but leaning into it. I mean, all this, I mean, I, and I told him, I said, y'all, the corpse isn't even cold yet. <laughs> and you're putting together a team to start looking for your next pastor. And so I am so proud of them. And I, and I said that to them on the phone, and I, I've, I've said it to other people that I've seen. I am so proud of them. I think the church is in great hands leadership-wise. Um, and so I have nothing but 
hopeful expectations. So you're peaceful. You're peaceful there. You know, I I really am. And this was the whole worry is like, what's going to happen to them if we take the next step for us? And and I realized like, if we don't take our next step as a family, um, then we're limiting two congregations, two communities from their next step. Right. And so um, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm super at ease now after being able to talk to them and hear the good things they're talking about and doing. They're, they're knocking it out of the park. Well, I, just, I wanted to say to you guys, and I wanted to say this in your presence, I just, Carla, Josh, I could not. This is like a dream come true for me to have, to have worked, I mean, 16 years ago, there were 10 people in my living room. And my God, the journey since then, it's been an amazing journey and it's changed my life. Um, to be able to have you guys come and take up this next chapter of Grace Point, it just could not be better for me. Like, if God came down and said, would you want to tweak this anyway? Is there anybody else? I would say, no, this is exactly the way that I hoped and dreamed and prayed that it would turn out. Um, this church means so much to me. I, these people are, are my family. I am moving now to this honorary role. I promise you it will be honorary and not ornery. <laughs> promise you. I'll be the I best former pastor. One of my responsibilities to you is to get out of the way. And just like Pete cast a long shadow, founding pastors can, can do that. But I... Uh, as founding pastor, my responsibility to this church now, number one, this church is my home. This is, this is my home base. Everything that I do out from here, this is my home base. These are my people. These are the people that I want to be submitted to and come back and report what's going on with my life. But as honorary, as honorary, as a founding pastor, my responsibility to you as a congregation, um, much of it is this, is to make the transition to help find that right person. My responsibility now clearly is that um, I, I'm still your friend. I'm still, I mean, hospitals and funerals and weddings, I still am whatever you need. Um, if you have problems or struggles or challenges with the church, which interestingly we haven't had for the first 16 years, but with you coming, <laughs> there could be. If you have any of those do me a favor, do all of us fair. Don't come to me. That's not my role anymore. As a matter of fact, my role is to stay as far away from that as possible. Uh, I am not a technical staff member. My relationship with the staff, these are some of my dearest friends. They'll continue to be my friends, but I don't come to staff meetings. Uh, the staff doesn't come to me. Um, I don't have a relationship with the board, except these are seven of the best friends that I have in my life. My relationship as founding pastor. Conventional wisdom says, and I think it's true, my relationship as founding pastor, I've done my work. And whatever I've done, I've done. And whatever I haven't done, I haven't done. But my work, I have to be able to look satisfyingly and say I've, I've finished my course as the lead pastor here and pastoral influence. But as founding pastor, the one level of influence I will still have is you. And my commitment to you is if... if I mean, there's no way, if I saw something happening at Grace Point that bothered me, there's no way I can help but be bothered by that. I promise you, I won't talk to one of them. I'll come directly to you. 
and whatever level of influence that you need or input, I am here for you. And I think this is an incredible group who knows who they are. There's not a, there's not a church in this movement that understands what it means to be post-evangelical progressive Christian in terms of theological refinement. This group, this group gets that. Uh, I used this church for 16 years as a theological laboratory. It deserves to be a home now. And I'm glad that we're not just bringing in a theologian or a thought leader. Uh, you're great at that stuff, but we're bringing in pastors and people who are going to help these people nest and do the things that churches, whether they're liberal or conservative, do. And that's make a difference in the community and develop deep relationships and nurture our children in their spirituality. So I am really, really grateful. I couldn't be happier. And I just wanted to say that out loud. Thank you. I love you. I, I, do, I do want to publicly get you on the hook that you'll still preach some. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not, not, I don't want to preach more than probably. I, I want to back out. I don't want to do more than like 20 Sundays a year. Oh. <laughs> I really want to let go. I just want to untangle my emotions and let go. So don't make it more than 20. Um, <laughs> okay. Deal. Um, you know, the thing, uh, I, I can't believe, looking back, you know, when the uh, deacon looked at me and said, you're a pretty good preacher, but you're not a pastor. Um, I, I told MCC last week that when I joined that community 14 years ago, I came in and I wasn't a pastor. And to be honest, I had no desire to be one. I just wanted to be the guy who got up and said the things and then disappeared. And those people turned me into a pastor. <laughs> like part of what I love about the job that I get to do in the world now is the stuff that I used to be drained by. You know what I mean? Like, like life events with people, um, caring for, like all that stuff now is a thing I'm excited about. And so if I, if I'm halfway decent at this, the credit has to go to them because they've I also wasn't a hugger when I came to Morgantown. When people hugged me, I was like that. Well, you're going to get, uh, yeah. But now, I mean, this church knows me. I'm a big hugger. Now. Big hugger. Yeah. Now. Now I just hug every, I hug strangers. I, you know what? I do too. They tease about me. I hug and I, 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 I'm like a two before, but <laughs> that's not internal. That's just, that's just muscle. That's what that is. <laughs> but, um, so bottom line is we have a few weeks coming here that are going to be really good. Next week we have mama bears, Sarah Cunningham and Liz Dyer. If you don't know who the mama bears go online, these ladies are coming. We have 80 to a hundred first time visitors who are coming as, from as far as California next week to celebrate the work that this church has done in LGBT inclusion. So we're going to be honoring Sarah and Liz next week. The next week, April 7th, will be the last sermon that I speak here as lead pastor. And then April 14th is Palm Sunday. I told Josh I was going to do a Palm Sunday message that the king is coming. And I hope things go better for him than it did the, the other guy that came in on the donkey. But You just spoiled my entrance for the next week. Though. Yeah. But April 21st, how about that? It's just great that it worked out. April 21st is Easter, and that will be their first Sunday here, and your first Sunday as lead pastor. So couldn't be better. So I, I, I was talking to a friend. I was talking to a friend this week, and she said, oh, when do you start? I said, oh, Easter. She said, wait, Easter? There's already a lot of pressure. You picked your first day <laughs> to be Easter? 
Yeah, I've got a couple of good messages. <laughs> um, so why don't we do this? Carla, would you come up here with Josh? And I'd love for our leadership council to come up, if y'all would. All the leadership council. And um, Matt, Nathaniel, what would be a good microphone for us to use? Jason, get a microphone. It's not a photo. Um, one of my, is it on? One of my favorite people in this church. Um, I have a lot of favorites. I tell everybody they're my favorite, but um, it's because it's true. But I love Lee and Carol Anglin. These folk have served as elders and board members through the years, so I'd love for y'all to come up with them. And, and yeah. And... I, I love the way Lee prays because when he prays, he actually talks to God. And Lee, would you just do a prayer over Carla and Josh and the new chapter at Grace Point? Would you do that? You have been with us all the way. Lee pastored another kind of Baptist for how many years? 40? 47. And was it 47 years, American Baptist pastor and overseer bishop in that movement? And he's been one of the seminal people in my life. These are some of the good ones. I'll, I'll make you a list. Um, and they'll all be good. But let's stand together as a congregation. Lee, would you say a prayer for us? Lord, I'm just absolutely thrilled with you. You are so good. We've been blessed for years, and now we have the opportunity to uh, stand behind and beside these two, their family. And Lord, we thank you and praise you forever. We're grateful for wisdom, the wisdom of this council. We're grateful for the willingness of, of uh, Josh and his spouse to be here. And we ask, Lord, that we may be forever grateful for the whole family. You're here. You're in us. You've never stopped loving us. Grant, Father, that we may be faithful in the beginning and to the very end and beyond. We thank you for our pastor, Stan. We thank you for the wisdom and insight and courage of the council. And we're grateful for these two and their family. And we ask, Lord, that you will put your loving hand and mighty love upon them and keep them. Keep them steady and courageous and full of love for each other and for this body. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake and the kingdom.
And God's people say together aloud. Amen. And again. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen. God bless you guys. You can be seated. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, counsel. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? Yep. I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who reached out to us this last week. Um, we had so many messages and so many kind words. And I, I know I don't, I, I've memorized some of your names. Um, it may take me a minute. Um, but I, I want to get to know each and every one of you. So when we get started here um, the week after Easter, um, I, I want to have as many coffees and as many lunches and just, just want to get to know you. So um, we'll make sure you have my contact info, and I would love to set up as much as possible. Um, thanks for this opportunity. We're, we're really excited. One more time. Josh Scott. I love you.